Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I am the Prince of Wales, and think not, Percy, to share with me in glory anymore. Two stars keep not their motion in one sphere, nor can one England brook a double reign of Harry Percy and the Prince of Wales. Nor shall it, Harry, for the hour is come to end the one of us, and would to God thy name and arms were now as great as mine. I'll make it greater ere I part from thee, and all the budding honours on thy crest I'll crop to make a garland for my head. I can no longer brook thy vanities. That was Prince Hal standing against Hotspur in battle in the climactic scene of this play. The hour has come to end one of us, and we will find out soon which one is ended, Hotspur or Hal. Welcome to Act 5 of Henry IV, Part 1. You have joined me. My name is Tim McIntosh, along with... Brandon LeBlanc. And I'm Heidi White. And this is The Play's The Thing, your podcast for all things Shakespeare. And this is our ultimate episode on the discussion of the play. Next week, we will record a question and answer on the play. You guys, we have arrived at the end, and we arrived at the place that we knew we had to end, which is the battlefield. And we knew who our main characters were going to be in conflict, not just King Henry IV, but also... Prince Hal and the rebellious Hotspur. So I want to end with kind of a big picture question about the character of Hal, who I think is our hero by the end of this story. Um, but my question for each of you, Heidi, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you first: Is has Hal come full circle? Is he where we want him to be, or are we just at the end of part one of Prince Hal's transformation. After all, there is Henry the Fourth, part two. Maybe we've got some more growing to do with Hal. What do you think? I think that 
he has completed the trajectory that was laid out for him within this play, uh, which is for him to go from uh, rebellious, young, devil-may-care, uh, tavern-attending, you know, Prince kind of turning his back on his uh, responsibilities to, you know, from there to like fully owning himself and his destiny as the king. He's not yet the king, uh, but he is now, he's gone from how to Harry, right? Harry, the, the, he's gone, he's, he's fully inhabiting his role as the Prince of Wales, which he's called multiple times in Act 5 and not mm. a single time before mm. that. So I think we have him like kind of owning himself uh, within the the cosmology of his world, which again is referred to in Act Five in a very direct way. Brandon, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think you hit on the key. That it's that it's that Prince of Wales thing, right? And so he's not who we hope for him to be fully yet. Uh, he's not the the king to be that we get to see later. Um, that's better than the two kings before him, for the, all the reasons we've talked about so far. But he is the Prince of Wales. He's set aside how, um, and even Harry, he's the Prince of Wales, which is what he should be. And that that's the role he's responsible to. Um, it, it's, it's his responsibility. And we, and we saw him kind of sloughing it in the beginning of the story. And there's lots of interpretations of that. But he now is inhabiting that role. Um, so he's where he should be at this point. Yeah. Um our other main character is Hotspur. And then there's this kind of, I don't know, it's hard to refer to Falstaff as a satellite character because he occupies so much space, but I'm going to call him a satellite character nonetheless. I, I w- was thinking as I finished the play how difficult it is to actually satisfactorily conclude both of these characters' stories, meaning Hal's and Falstaff's, because they're going in exactly the opposite direction. One is finally, Hal is finally becoming serious, taking on his role as prince. And Falstaff just remains Falstaff. And so here they both are on the battlefield. And I thought, man, how is Shakespeare going to do this? How is he going to merge this kind of highbrow, yeah, I'll call it highbrow kingly plot, which is full of bravery and honor with this kind of, um, it's not lowbrow, but it's just very funny and a very not serious character, Falstaff. And I really like the way that he does it. So in this act, we, we see Falstaff observing the battle between Hal and Hotspur and what does Falstaff do? Why he kind of topples over and plays dead. So he's kind of a witness to the battle. Maybe he's peeking with one eye, but he's also acting like Falstaff. You know, he's, he's cowardly when we need him to be brave. And then after the fight is over, he gets up and what does he discover? The body of Hotspur. And what does he do? He claims it as his own. He is the victor and he marches back toward Hal and Hal's compatriots. And he says, hey, look what I did. Look what I And Hal's like, no, you didn't, bro. No, you didn't. I was the guy. I was the guy. So it, I, I thought that the kind of meshing of these two plots was satisfactorily done. Um, but Heidi, you've never been a huge fan of Falstaff. Maybe you're just like, this is 
I just wish I would could have written him out of the act. You know, I wish it, I wish he would have been disappeared. You know, in Act Three or something like that. How do you feel about the conclusion of these two, the the conclusion of their storyline together? Yeah, I think it's very satisfactory. Um, I don't like Falstaff, and here is a great example of why. I freely acknowledge the brilliance of Falstaff's, Falstaff's character, um, and but I just don't like him. Um, yeah. And I don't <laughs> like him because of Act 5 of Henry Four Part 1. Like he's... Mm. Uh, but he's necessary to the plot here. He's really, it's really important that he does what he does because again, as we've talked about multiple times, uh, over, uh, over the course of this podcast, this series, uh, is, is that Shakespeare gives us doubles, um, all the time. And he mixes up the doubles in a really interesting way and, uh, or interesting ways throughout the play. And here we have, um, a we we actually we have oh man we have howl doubled with everybody in this mm. act um but um there's hotspur on if we look at this as let's say an aristotelian golden mean right if, if as aristotle says if virtue is the mean between two extremes and we look at a continuum of uh courage mm. In this act, or or honor, chivalry is a better one actually than courage, although courage works too. Um, but in this act, we have Hotspur on one end of chivalry, um, and he's so chivalrous that he's a fool, right? He should have fought. He should have gone into that battle with Hal. He should have fought him one on one. They could have won the war. He starts out the act saying, "We're gonna go down in flames. I'm going to die with my honor, no matter what, even though they know the odds are stacked against them and they cannot possibly win." And they're given a chance, right? He could go into hand to hand combat with Prince Hal. He could potentially win, right? Um, and then he ends up in hand to hand combat with Prince Hal anyway, loses the fight, and along the way loses the war because he was so foolish. He insisted on chivalry over wisdom, mm. right? And that's what we have on one end of of this continuum. On the other end, we have Falstaff, and we need him for that reason because he rejects the concept of honor. What is honor? It's only a word. I'd rather be alive than have my honor right and he ends up being coming so dishonorable um and is clearly a fool because of that so both of them are foolish on either end and then what's the golden mean it's it's mm. Hal. it's harry it's mm. the prince of wales right he has just the right amount of honor just the right amount of courage just the right amount of self-protection um just the right amount of everything he is by the end of the play the aristotelian golden mean of every double within the play that's pitted against each other yeah. and that's just one example of it brandon before we come to you i actually want to play a little audio of the monologue that heidi just mentioned falstaff you know, is kind of like facing this choice. Am I going to act like an honorable person? Well, I kind of want to, but how if honor prick me off when I come on? How then can honor sit a leg? So let's listen to that audio of um, Falstaff kind of demeaning the very concept of honor because it gains him nothing. Honor pricks me on. Yeah, but how if honor prick me off when I come on? How then? Can honor set to a leg? No. Or an arm? No. Or take away the grief of a wound? No. Honor hath no skill in surgery then? No. What is honor? A word. 
What is that word, honour? Air, a trim reckoning. Who hath it? He that died a Wednesday. Doth he feel it? No. Doth he hear it? No. Tis insensible, then. Yea, to the dead. But will it not live with the living? No. Why? Detraction will not suffer it. Therefore, I'll none of it. Honor is a mere scutcheon. And so ends my catechism. What is in that word honor? What is that honor? Air, a trim reckoning. Who hath it? He that died a Wednesday, does he feel it? No. It's a pretty jaundiced look, isn't it, Brandon? Um, and I think it's supposed to make us laugh because I'd be lying if I didn't like kind of agree with him in a lot of ways. You know, like like his critique of honor is... It's valid, but I don't want to be the kind of person that critiques honor that way. I don't want, I want to be the kind of person that Hal is. So were you able to laugh at that, at that monologue, Brandon, the kind of demeaning of honor at the hands of Falstaff? Um, a, a little bit. I think the highest point, this is, this is act five is where we see him at his lowest, right? He, mm. um, and we touched on this earlier, like he has, this desire to want to be seen as loyal and seen as honorable and seen as these things, particularly by Hal. Um, but he doesn't have the, the chest for it because mm-hmm. he hasn't developed it. Um, and, and you know, you talked a minute ago about where he's watching the fight and then feigns his death. But even before that, Hal comes to him and is just asking for his sword. He's lost his sword. And he's asking for his sword. And in place of where his sword should be, Falstaff has sack, mm. right? You know, he's just, he doesn't even prepare to be honorable. Um, and so he can't be. And, and, and I think that um, th- it's where you get to see kind of his shortcoming. It's interesting how you talked about doubles because I think it still pairs with, with his father, who his father is, is ready to fight and, and shows that. But then doesn't have much, um, once it's all said and done, he, he's, he's no sympathy left. He gave people a chance beforehand and he's done, right? Um, but we get to see Hal's interactions with, with Falstaff, even though Falstaff's a fool, Hal shows him some mercies when he comes to him with, with Hotspur's body. And so, yeah, Heidi's right. Uh, Hal's the golden mean and, and Falstaff just proves his kind of finality of foolishness here. And we know that from here on out, he's just going to become a... Um, a lesser and lesser part of, of, of the Prince of Wales world mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't have the chest for it. He's not up to it. Yeah. Um, and so he can't. And so it's, it's sad. It's, 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 there's pity for him and kind of as a, he's kind of a pitiable character at this point. Yeah. Um, because he wants to be more than that, but he d- doesn't put in the work to so yeah. speak or, or develop that. Yeah. So. And he's writing himself out of Hal's will as it were. Right. Yeah. He just kind of can't break character. Heidi. Do you think that this is the breaking point of their relationship? Like, is there a point in time or, or does Hal already know, or is it now? Cause I kind of think it's now I kind of think, and there's multiple opinions in the Shakespearean world about this. I kind of think that it is in act five that, that Hal sees like, he really just can't do mm-hmm. it. I, I think Hal gave him a chance 
for honor, yeah. be honorable. He, he gave him the opportunity to be at the head of a group of men. Um, instead of getting men, he gets, he gets vagabonds and prisoners and he gave, and he wants to be seen as a valiant knight and honorable and loyal and how gives him that chance. And he can't even live up to being a squire, just being there to, and have a sword ready for the, for how, when he needs it, right? Like he can't even be a squire, much less a knight. And so he just fails. And, and I think this is, he gave him his best opportunity and, and he doesn't live up to it. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. At this point, he knows this is, this is done. This is not somebody I can rely on ever again. So Heidi, I'm thinking about your reference to the golden mean in Aristotle. There's even a line from Falstaff, which he kind of like gives assent to that in a way, but he twists it in a way that's, I think, very funny and also kind of like justifies his cowardice. So I think it's in act five, scene four, um, after Hal turns his back on him, he's kind of does Falstaff kind of justifies his own position and he includes these lines, but to counterfeit dying when a man thereby liveth is to be no counterfeit, but the true and perfect image of life. Indeed, the better part of valor is discretion in the, which better part I have saved my life. So, I mean, it's a great, it's a great set of lines, you know, like I have shown, let's call it discretion. I'm not going to call it cowardice and I'm going to call discretion the better part of valor. And by exercising the better part of valor, I've saved my life. See, see, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. I mean, it's that this is part of the reason that I have such a hard time getting too frustrated with Falstaff to buy despite feeling indignant with him sometimes is that lines like that, this sort of like self-justifying circle of logic that ends up putting him up on a pedestal and making him appear to be this really like not, not atrocious character, which he really is. Yeah. I can just, I, I, I guess I just have a weakness for his humor. You're in good, you're in good company though. I think that that's like a more charitable interpretation of Falstaff is the better part of virtue. I just, I don't like him. Like I, and I'm, I'm the one usually tooting the, the horn, you know, like carrying the banner for empathetic reading and I just can't do it for him. And I, and I recognize that I think as I I think I'm justified in the sense that he is truly not a good man. And Mm -hmm. in, in, but I also think that I own that he, that I ought to have more sympathy for him than I do. Like, I, I think it's a failure of empathy in me to like him or to, to, not like him because you don't have to like everybody. That's not fair. But I just, I don't have the charity for him that I would have. He's not the kind of person I like. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that I'm not going to defend that though. I'm, I'm going to confess that. Mm. Right. Uh, and say, this is what reading does is it shows you it, it, it holds up a mirror for yourself and you're like, wow, I'm the kind of person that like, doesn't have empathy on one of the most likable characters in English mm. literature. And I just can like, I don't like that guy. Get, get like, so <laughs> I think that that's, Again, it's it's more of a confession on my part. I'm not going to try to convince anybody onto my side. But he's, so. he's like, like, so he's that kind of person who who's like really well read and knows all the lines like Tim just quoted. And um, 
knows all the knowledge, right? But uh, completely lacks the wisdom that comes from having a chest that controls the belly. And, and in that sense, he reminds me a little bit of Polonius um, in Hamlet, who also has all these like lines that people quote all the time as being like wisdom. Like he's so wise, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's no to thine own self be true. Mm -hmm. And some of those Mm -hmm. things sound really good, um, but he's super annoying, right? He's a fool. Yeah. Um, And the difference between the two is that Falstaff is like fun. You'd want to be around him. Like he's fun to go get a beer with and Polonius, you do not want to be anywhere near him because he's just long winded. And um, I think some people have more compassion for Polonius and, um, and as readers than others. Um, and the same is true of Falstaff just because of what bothers you, mm-hmm. right? You're bothered by Falstaff's grossness, which I think is a fair thing to be bothered by. That is true. And, I am. And I just think it's a friendship issue. Like you show up. Yeah. If your friend needs you to be yeah, brave, sure. you be brave. You don't right. be a coward. Yeah. Like this is your friend. Yeah, he actually feels here. Oh. Yeah. And 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 then to like turn I think I think like what what's interesting to me is what you just said Tim is the thing I I think that's the lowest point Falstaff hits. I like hate him for that speech mm-hmm. because he's making light of his betrayal of his mm. friend. Yeah. And turning it into a joke and a self-justification. Right. And I find that like despicable. Yeah. However, I don't disagree with your interpretation and reaction to it, which is like, oh, that guy. Yeah, right. You know, like, like when he makes a claim that he was the one who killed Hotspur <laughs> when like Harry did it. Mm. And then he stabs his dead body. Yeah. That's like, in, like to like desecrate a body under the, under like the medieval mindset is such a despicable thing to do. And then he turns it into a joke and tries to say he's a hero. And like people, and, and I think that that's supposed to be funny. Like, as I'm reading that, I'm like, I'm supposed to chuckle and be like, Oh, Falstaff. You but instead, rascal. I'm like, want to crawl into the play and punch him in the throat. Yeah. So, <laughs> I like this whole punching in the throat trend you're on right now. It's a, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan I of just it. want to punch people in the throat. Ants and Falstaff. <laughs> so, I have a violent person, um, but I also think that I'm kind of missing something. I'm missing the the big fun like character that he's supposed to be. This like larger than life, lighthearted, you know, like every Shakespeare. Everybody loves him, and I just have missed that. And so I'm saying that's a failure in me as a reader, and that's okay. I accept that. I I feel like I can still die a good person and not like false stuff, but. Actually, I'm not a good person. Pray for me. But that, but I think it just shows me there's things along the way that we miss when we're readers. And that's what Falstaff's one of them. Falstaff's one of those like delights of literature that I'm just like, I don't get it. Hmm. This is, this is where it becomes harder to actually defend him, but you can just kind of write him off as ridiculous. And that's people who like him. They just write him off as kind of ridiculous. Um, Like, his reason for stabbing the dead body was he might be faking like me because Hotspur is so much like him that he might be, he might be faking right. it. Right. And you're just like, okay. Um, but I get it. Yeah. It's, if you don't like him to begin with, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of get there. One of the things that I most right. appreciate about Shakespeare is his willingness to kind of put his audience through emotional whiplash. My example being true Macbeth and Lady Macbeth killed Duncan in his bedchamber. It's this 
dark, dark, malicious, violent moment. One of the most, you know, moments. It happens off stage, but we have kind of been, we know what's coming and we see immediately afterwards, you know, their hands drenched in blood. But between them going into the bedchamber and them coming out of the bedchamber all bloodied is the porter. Actually, the porter comes after they show themselves with hands in blood. And the porter is talking about how badly he has to urinate when he wakes up in the middle of the night because he's had too much beer and he's frustrated that somebody's knocking and he has this very short monologue and it's full of kind of quips and dirty jokes. And it's so funny. And it comes immediately on the hills, heels of the slaughter of the monarch, the unjust slaughter of the innocent and good monarch. And Shakespeare's like, I don't care. You can handle it. And I think he's right. We can handle it because like, this is life. This is life. You know, like you have a wonderful meal out with your friends and on the way home, you have a flat tire on a freezing night and you're angry. And then you get home and you start, I mean, you're like, the, the kind of emotional complexity of even everyday life is full of whiplash and Shakespeare's not afraid to kind of put us through that. Okay. That being said, I do think that if I have a critique of this play, it's that he ties together the Falstaff and Hal storyline as best he can given, I mean, like at the end of this play, I think he does it better than anybody else could do given the circumstances, given the narratives that he set up. I still, I think the wick the whiplash is too much for me that we see how growing in wisdom and in stature and like defending the honor of his father and his home country on the battlefield and the kind of whiplash to Falstaff's almost incredible dishonor was at times almost more that I could kind of tolerate. I had a hard time with them. And I think if I have a critique of this play, I would have said to Shakespeare, listen, I really appreciate your willingness to kind of like put us in the back and forth of the kind of like high honor and low failing. I really appreciate that. Um, I think Falstaff needed to be moved aside a little bit earlier or maybe for once in his life, actually act honorably on the battlefield. Am I wrong? Am I wrong to like, I, I feel like I'm contradicting myself a little bit because I found it really satisfying that he ties Hal and Falstaff's line together. But I think that the kind of gulf between those two storylines was so big that I'm not even sure that Shakespeare crossed it. I'm not sure that even he got across the chasm that he kind of dug for himself. Am I making sense to you guys? Yeah, I I can't help but see um, the hollow crown as you're talking and how good it is. It's so good. And I think they navigated that whiplash feeling beautifully. Mm. And I think it it's one of those back and forth that lends itself to the film medium, maybe more than the stage medium. 
because you can you can change the timeline in a in a film and kind of isolate something in a film um isolate a character like which is what they did in the hollow crown when they have him he's essentially on his own and they they change the um the sequence of mm. events a little bit in the in the movie to make it fit i think a little better mm. um and the battles are longer and so i i think on stage i think you're kind of i think you're right on stage mm. it's just there's too much characterization that has to happen in a nonverbal sense and with facial expressions and with and with staging um, that I think lends itself to turning this particular play into a movie. Yeah. Um, and 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 then when I've seen that done really well a couple of times, I've actually never seen a, a staged performance of this play. I've never oh, just really? Really? gone to the theater and seen this play yeah. performed. Yeah, me either. That's interesting you mentioned that because I, I watched it fairly recently before we started. Um, and I, I noticed that changing at the very beginning of the play where they show how at the brothel and, and the king in the court at the same time, they kind of go back and forth between them. Oh, I loved that. Which was, was brilliant. So yeah. Um, I did not even catch it on the false, on this part in the false stuff stuff. Um, even when I was reading, I didn't remember that. So um, if they do that, that's, that's, that is pretty brilliant. Um, I think, Tim, the only answer I have for it, even in the play form, is that it gives us a final breaking with false F, like we talked about, like that he gave, he was given every opportunity. Um, yeah. And then the way the way Henry responds, to me, is a step toward his kingliness. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And a kingliness that's better than his father's. Agreed. Because he doesn't care about the credit at that point. Like, he knows he defeated Hotspur, but he doesn't care because that's not what's important where at the beginning of the play we see the king very threatened by hotspur's credit and hotspur very defensive of his own credit right and 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 as heidi pointed out we we get we get Hal as this um uh doubled against everybody to show why he is the the well what we're going to find out you know by the by henry v that he's the uh um, now I'm losing the line. The mirror of all Christian Thank you. I knew Heidi had it on, on tip of her tongue. Um, and I think this is that step toward that, right? Like he, the winning is the, the battle is the important thing, not getting the credit for beating the champion from the other side. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's kind of like this parting, parting gift to, to, to fall staff almost like fine. You can have your five minutes in the sun, but we're kind of done. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, I do, but he's still so kind. I'm mm, sorry, you go ahead, Tim. He's still so, um, like he still treats, I I'm going to sound like such a middle-aged woman was what I'm about to say. Um, like he's still like, treats Falstaff like a bro by the end you know like he's joking with them he's letting him kind of destroy himself yeah. with his own hands right um and and he, without reproach and i think i like love that so much about hal is is he he's so strategic but he 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 treats him without shaming him yeah it's a gentle release right and I think all of that is, is we're seeing the wisdom of the wisdom he's going to bring to his kingship 
yeah. now as the Prince of Wales. That does change in this act in 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 the second play. Like there's a a moment of renunciation that is public and that is shaming and that is highly controversial. Hmm. Like very very controversial. Um, whether does it need it? Did it need to be done? Did it need to be that dramatic? Did it like? It's so it's so hard mm. to, even to read it. I, you know, Shakespeare's like not that fun to just read. You know, it's really better mm. to see him performed. But even on the page, the way that he talks to Falstaff in that public renunciation scene is brutal. Mm. And so it's but in this play, in this play, he is he's still treating him like a drinking buddy by the yeah. end of the play. And, and we have to ask ourselves one of the great interpretive questions of Hal is right. when does Hal know that he does he already know by this point? Is he making a decision here? What at what point does he and he says it in the tavern scene? I do. I will. Right. That mm -hmm. famous line. Um, but even that has been open to interpretation over the centuries on at what point Henry King at one point Henry the King and how the man decide against Falstaff's presence in his life. I do want to have to tune in for part you have two. To tune in for part two. That's right. I don't know how mm. soon we're going to do part two on this podcast. Part of me wants to it's try to tackle play. it. Is it's it really? It's by far the hardest out of the the tetralogy. By far, it's the hardest out of the four mm -hmm. um, to understand and to like. Um, and it needs, it's one of those that it is, it's, it's worthy of having a guide yeah. through it yeah. because it is. So it, it, it'd be a good one, uh, because we've done, we'll, we'll have done three out of the four by the time we finish this podcast. So it would be a good one to do on the podcast for people who want to teach this tetralogy mm -hmm. or understand it, but it's the most scholars agree. It's the weakest out of the four. Um, and it really does belong with the other four. Um, and it, it behooves people to have a guide. Through yeah. It. Well, That'll be our cue then. And maybe maybe we should try to tackle that one this year. Maybe we just do a one-off since it's it's not a popular play. I've never seen it performed. That's a good idea. I've never seen I've never even seen a movie version of it made accessible. Maybe I'm sure there is one somewhere. Mm -hmm. But it might be worth us doing just a single episode on it for people who do want to tackle it. I think as that's a good idea. Yeah, I'd like to do it because it's it's a it's it's good. It's worth reading. Yeah, the only film recorded version I know is the Hollow Crown when it's set inside of something okay. of the series. So, yeah, I don't want to end Act Five without touching on Hotspur, and I, I want each of you to kind of give me your closing remarks on Hotspur, but not until we hear from Hotspur. So, on the very eve of battle, he's approached and he's kind of questioned. You know, like, are we going to do this? And let's listen to his response. Oh, gentlemen, the time of life is short. To spend that shortness basely were too long. If life did ride upon a dial's point, still ending at the arrival of an hour, and if we live, we live to tread on kings. If die, brave death, when princes die with us. Now, for our consciences, the arms are fair when the intent of bearing them is just. To spend that shortness basely were too long if life did ride upon a dial's point, still ending at the arrival of an hour. Brandon, Hotspur is no more by the end of this act, by the end of this play. What, what do you think of him having 
kind of seen his arc? Do you do you respect him? Do you not respect him? Where are you? Um, I, I think we see him come to the end of his choices that he's made. Uh, it's interesting that there's this there's one little thing in there where the the people he sends in don't actually give him all the information when they come back. Yeah, um, they withhold this information from preservation. Yeah, yeah uh, and so, um, but but he kind of made his bed with those guys as his advisors and 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 the guys he sends in. He doesn't go to speak to the king himself, things like that. Um, and then he he, as Heidi mentioned earlier, he passes on his chance to, um, or maybe you did in single combat uh, to to not even have the battle, right? And so, um. I think what we see is is the the final end of someone who, like I said before, read his own press clippings and mm-hmm. um, and made the choices he made. And so, I, yeah, whatever respect there was for him at the beginning, um, he he has the respect of being great in battle, a great warrior, but that doesn't translate to him for the respect that would come for a great leader in in peacetime. Brandon, do you read his refusal to? have one-on-one combat with Prince Henry, with Hal. Do you read that as sort of um, a, a kind of unnecessary willingness to have his men suffer and die? Like if he, if he signs up for it and he goes one-on-one with Hal, one of them is going to die, but the people are going to be preserved. Do you, do you read it that way? Or am I kind of taking reading too much into that decision? No, I think... I don't know exactly what's going on because I don't think it's, I don't think we have much evidence in the play that he would be a coward from that fight. Like, yeah, right, scared right. Fight. Yeah. I think he feels like he could beat Hal. Yeah. Because he's proven and Hal isn't, right? Um, so I don't know if, I, I don't really understand it, uh, to be honest with you. I don't know if it's just, you know, I've, I've already amassed these armies. Now I'm the head of an army now. I'm, I'm going to act like a king and ride into battle if that's what's going through his head. But it's, it's really strange to me that he doesn't, Accept that that fight, um, and then it ends up having it anyway. Yeah, but um, I mean, maybe that's. I mean, that's interesting. I guess that he ends up having it anyway without the promise of a victory if he wins. Mm-hmm. Like he he could beat Hal and still lose the battle, right? So it's a, it just goes toward his kind of hot headedness, I guess. Yeah. But it's it was strange to me yeah. for sure. Heidi Hotspur. So yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> he's such a fool in this whole. In, in this act. And so is, so is, uh, Falstaff. Um, they, they both have this opportunity to temper themselves and, uh, and, and to rule themselves towards prudence. And they both choose to rashly, um, to rashly act, um, Falstaff by fleeing the battle and Hotspur by charging into an unwinnable mm-hmm. battle. Um, and with, uh, and with Hotspur, it's a lack of attachment to any form of personal honor. And with Hotspur, it's an excessive attachment to personal honor. I, I think Brandon said it exactly right. He wanted to lead an army into battle. And, um, and, and that has more glory and more honor than single combat. And so that's what he did, even though he knew he was going to lose, Mm -hmm. he was, he was so attached to personal honor and glory. Um, and, uh, and that was, and, and with how we see the the perfect medium between the two, the golden mean, um, 
And, but Hal is very honoring towards Hotspur. Like he, he is, um, he, he speaks very highly of him. He honors him even after he defeats him. Um, and even after his father has unfairly and unjustly condemned and judged him, wanting him to be more like Hotspur, he seems to have internalized a true um, belief in Hotspur's courage, or as the other alternative, he's becoming a good politician already mm. and speaking highly of a defeated foe. Yeah. Could be either one or both. Wait, do you pick a side in that, Heidi? I think it's politics. You do. I think he's strategic. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think he respects Hotspur and, um, and he he's not seen any of the vice in Hotspur the way we have as the right, audience. Right. All he knows is what he's heard. He knows that he's a rebel. And in that sense, he knows he's not a good guy, mm-hmm. you know, because he's like, right. taking up but arms against also, the crown. You're right. But he also knows that he's a rebel with a point, yeah, with a right, valid cause. Right. And that is part of Prince Hal's psychology because he's the son of a usurper. And 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 so Hotspur is making a valid claim and, and Hal knows it. And I think that adds to his respect for him as a foe. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he also has that wisdom. It's politics to your point, but, it, you know, I'll go back to the sports analogy again, right? You don't want to give Hotspur anything, any locker room material, things he can get himself pumped up on, right? So you talk about how great he is and wonderful he is, not how you're going to destroy them and how he's a big loser. So um, it's just the wisdom that we start to see, are starting to see emerge from from Hal as the prince. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that um, Shakespeare really does set us up with the last lines of the play. It feels like a sequel is coming. So the very close is King Henry the fourth kind of like, okay, we've finished this battle. It's time to go to another battle. So myself and you son, Harry will toward Wales to fight with Glendower and the Earl of March rebellion in this land shall lose its sway, lose his sway meeting the check of such another day. And since this business so fair is done, let us not leave till all our own be one. It just says, hey, part two, coming soon to a globe near you. You know, it's like a nice, it's a nice setup. It seems to me like Shakespeare knew that he was only halfway done with this, this work that he was producing. Next week, you guys, we are going to answer questions from our listeners and provide answers to those questions. And I'm looking forward to it. I think that we should give ourselves permission to also post on the Facebook page questions to each other if we have some. So if you have questions um, that you would like to send to Brandon, Heidi, Brandon, some question to Heidi, please feel free. Utilize the medium. Uh, We want to thank everyone who has been listening and please... Send those questions our way. You can find us on our parent Facebook page that is the Close Reads Discussion Group. You'll find us there and many, many other happy readers and many, many other great aficionados of Shakespeare. With that being said, thank you so much for listening. I am Tim McIntosh for Heidi White and for Brandon LeBlanc. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, happy reading.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.